I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guests are Roy and Bertrand Sosa, co-founders of NetSpend, the first prepaid debit card company for the underbanked population in the United States. NetSpend was launched in 1999 and targets people who don't have access to credit cards or hold bank accounts. Roy and Bertrand started the company out of their one-bedroom apartment in Texas with $750. They later raised $1.5 billion in an IPO in 2010 and sold the company in early 2013 to Total System Services, a payment processing company, for approximately $1.4 billion. They are the co-founders of Empower Ventures, an investment fund focused on financial service companies for the underbanked. Welcome. Thank you, Jessica. You immigrated from Mexico to the United States in 1986 when you were teenagers. What were your first impressions of America, Bertrand? As the world turns, because I learned English watching As the World Turns with, with my mother. And the other parts came from watching Transformers in the morning. How about you, Roy? Missing the bus, going to my first day of school in Austin, Texas, and having my, uh, my tennis shoes stolen. And not speaking the language, yeah, it was not a good start. Pretty tough when coming back from a country where, for me, everything clicked. Now, you moved from uh, Mexico with your mother, and she wanted to kind of reinvent herself. She had been working in business administration, and she wanted to study medicine. Where was your father in this? Uh, our father, he's a professor of economics, and so they had split a few years back, and so he was in Mexico City. Roy, you joined the Marine Corps after high school before entering college. Given your allegiance to Mexico, why did you join the Marines? Literally, Saddam had invaded Kuwait, and uh, I, by then I had been in this country for four years, and I had really come to the conclusion that whereas before I wanted to get back to Mexico as soon as possible, I had come to just love this country and the opportunities. And I felt that there was no way that I was ever really going to feel that this was my home, the same way that my peers that have been born here. And so I just had this idea of what better way than join the Marines during time of war. After college, you both worked at MCI, the telephone company. Now Verizon. Now Verizon. It was at MCI that the idea for NetSpend hatched. And it seems like you are both very unlikely people to start a financial services company, especially given that you were at a telephone company and you didn't have a background in financial services. How did the idea for NetSpend come to be? We were living together uh, at the time when we overlapped uh, work at MCI WorldCom, and we were just talking about the internet boom and how every there's a new business being hatched every day, it seemed like. And so you can imagine, uh, especially in Austin, Texas, Michael Dell has just entered into the picture. And without living in Austin, I don't know if we would have had the momentum of entrepreneurship that we felt. Literally, it happened over a few days where we started talking about doing something together. I remember him walking into my room and saying, I got it. Mm -hmm. We're going to enable payments over the Internet. At the time, uh, e-commerce was just blooming and people were starting to buy things online. However, there was this whole population of people who didn't have access to credit cards, and the thought was, how are they going to transact? In what way did this stem from your own experience or frustration with the payment system? As a student at the University of Texas, and having uh, had financial aid checks coming in from my GI Bill, I had come to understand that if I came in and I deposited my $2,000 check 
at my bank account, depositing my check on Friday at 4 p.m. Guess what? Even though I had a debit card, I could not get the funds to clear my account until after midnight Monday, which puts it Tuesday. So if I needed to buy books on the internet, or if I wanted to buy flowers for my girlfriend uh, from 1-800-Flowers, I couldn't do anything. The electronics seem to be there. They have my money. Why? Why can't I do this? And that was really what, what motivated us. said, we cannot possibly be the only ones. While it was the early days, prepaid p- cards did exist uh, in the form of phone cards, for example. And in what way did phone cards inspire you to uh, just apply it to a different area? In a big way for, for me. I mean, we were working directly in the industry, and we had context uh, coming from Mexico where you know, very popular uh, way of transacting. When we were at MCI, one of our college jobs initially was to sign people up to uh, switch in long distance. And curiously enough, switching people from AT&T to MCI, that was easy. The ones that were super difficult were not only immigrants, but your average American that had gotten a $400, $500 phone bill and they couldn't pay it and they had gotten so burned with that experience that they decided, you know what, I'm going to buy prepaid cards. And we could tell that customer, Mr. Customer, you know, you can have the service for five cents and a minute and the prepaid card is 30 cents. And the customer would tell us, yes, I know. I know it's more expensive, but you know what? When I'm done with the card, I'm done with the card. More control. It's control. As a person, I have problems about maybe not exercising enough, maybe not having the right diet, and certainly I'm going to have a problem with spending and saving. And if you can give me something where I can have control, that would be very powerful. You launched the company with $750, which is basically the amount of money that it it costs to incorporate. $750 was uh, utilized to incorporate, and that was really the catalyst to no going back. So we put a list of friends and family, and it's really funny, the 20 people that we put on the list, they ended up not giving us any money. But what we ended up getting, uh, these first investors are former employees at MCI. So think about people that were call center agents. My, when you're talking about an investment from a friend or a former employee that is $5,000, when their annual income, I know for a fact because they used to work for me, was $60,000. It's a big deal. And then you, you looked to venture capital and you got a lot of no's because you didn't have experience. Um, what were some other reasons why venture folks uh, did not support you initially? I'll give you the response that we got from one particular uh, investor that we were looking for money from. And he, he looked at us and he said, you guys are hilarious. It's like you're trying to go to the Super Bowl and win, but you've got two players. I mean, I didn't even know what venture capital was mm-hmm. when we were looking for venture capital. You ended up raising money from the help of the Small Business Administration. They had this uh, SBIC program, which insured investments from venture funds, right? It backed or collateralized investments from venture funds. Is that right? That yeah. is correct. They mm-hmm. supported uh, one of our er- investors, early investors. They had received uh, some money from the government, um, and uh, it turned out that we were one of the portfolio companies of the year for the government. And who was the venture firm? Jeff and Orr. Jeff and Orr here out of New York. In the early days, you persuaded MasterCard to partner with you. How did you meet them? We were introduced to them by the, our partner bank uh, out of Texas. 
And to their credit, they were very open. You got to remember, 1998, the internet is expanding. And back in those days, we basically said, look, we have an agreement with ExxonMobil for distribution of these cards. They need to be able to get their cash into the uh, into the system. And how are you going to deal with that? And if you don't want to help us, that's fine. But then we, you're, this is our first stop, and maybe we can go to American Express, or maybe we can go to Visa, but somebody's going to do it. So Exxon was a, a real important ally for you in convincing the likes of MasterCard to work with you. ExxonMobil being Fortune 1. So, for example, when you think about MasterCard or Visa, they do not issue cards. Banks do. The biggest retail bank in America back then had a total of 5,000 branches. ExxonMobil had 15,000 locations. So the concept that you can actually reach people through a retail location instead of a bank branch was really an innovation in itself. The other thing that we also had was our technology. So because the stuff that we wanted to do had never been done before, the incumbents, they were very rigid. If you as a bank said, I want to do, I want to change this and that, they would say, okay, we can make those changes, but it will gonna co- it's going to cost you millions of dollars and it's going to be two, three years. They also were operating on mainframes. We were had the benefit of, we were working on servers from the internet age where instead of spending $20 million on infrastructure, we could do it for a couple million dollars, faster, better. How did you convince Exxon to make your cards available to the population? They, they took a leap of faith on a pilot in Texas. And so literally hopped on a plane, went to see them in Fairfax, Virginia, said, hey, we want to do this. Here's a card. I remember putting a card in front of the gentleman that handled U.S. distribution for their C-stores. He picked it up, looked at it. This, by the way, had been a, a card that I had designed personally and printed and laminated and all that. <laughs> and he just, I remember he, he looked at it and said, okay, let's do it. And he signed the term sheet. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guests are Bertrand and Roy Sosa, co-founders of NetSpend, a pioneer of prepaid debit cards for the underbanked. Launched in 1999, NetSpend provides cards and other financial services to people who don't have access to credit or bank accounts. It occurred to me that you are innovating at, at the bottom of the pyramid. You're serving people who have real needs, and, and one day these services will be or, or eventually were used by mainstream customers. And usually when we think of innovation, sometimes it happens top down, like at the top of the pyramid, and then eventually, you know, the people at the bottom would benefit. Have you thought about that dynamic? We have. Today, globally, we now have programs in places like Kosovo, where we completely help rebuild the entire financial system from, in terms of the infrastructure for card issuance and acceptance. And, you know, the small business owner that now can order enzymes for his dairy uh, business that he couldn't before. Enzymes. Yep. Uh, uh, and that uh, he couldn't do it before. And it, you asked this question of, uh, you know, you started innovating at the bottom of the pyramid. Well, we have to be super low cost. You obviously can't talk about big fees. We have programs where literally we make $1 per customer per year. Okay, so if you, for you to make it work, you have to leverage technology. You have to leverage partnerships. But once you do that, then all of a sudden you say, wow, I can actually deliver services to the top of the pyramid more efficiently, better service than the incumbents that have been used to high fees because I had to figure it out. So instead of building a branch, I partnered with a grocery store. Instead of building a branch, I partnered with an airline. Or a telco. Or a telco. You are no longer affiliated with NetSpend. 
You started an investment fund called Empower, uh, which invests in financial service companies serving the uh, underbanked population. And unfortunately, it got off to a rough start uh, in that you were the subject of a lawsuit and uh, injunctions were filed against you from NetSpend, from the very company that you founded. And that was a tumultuous period for you, I'm sure. Uh, and the company contended that you were taking employees and that uh, you had a non-compete and that you were starting companies that competed directly with NetSpend. What was your response to that? No, I, my, my two cents on that is that it was a silly time mm-hmm. for both of us. There's just uh, no reason for it. We clear the, the air between both sides. The short answer is I can tell you all those things were dismissed. But at the same time, I will also tell you because of confidentiality on the dismissal and whatnot, we really don't talk about it. But I can tell you from a human perspective, it is the equivalent of being sued by your child. For me, it was even more awkward as a founder to think about the fact that, okay, at the time, we were the largest individual shareholders. So if NetSpend won, we lost. But if NetSpend lost, we lost. And uh, it just didn't make sense. You know, I've never sued anybody in my entire life. To me, it's disappointing when, when companies or individuals view the game as a zero sum. Like, if you're winning, I must be losing. So how do I get a piece of that? Netspend had had the opportunity to go international for many years. Never did. Um, there's nothing that prevents them from doing that. So what you're saying is um, NetSpend decided not to go into these other markets internationally, and there you saw an opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's, we, we started doing things around mobile payments right away and going into other countries right away. And, you know, the, the product line spectrum that we have today is pretty, pretty significantly different than, than what you see back then. Your focus now is on Rev Worldwide, which is a portfolio company of Empower, and they have a network of payment companies for those without access to banking. So similar to NetSpend, but international. What are some examples, uh, or who are some of the people whom are being affected by this? In rural Mexico, there's no cell phone coverage. There's no mobile coverage. So we partnered with the telegraph company, and with Huawei, who actually came in and put a satellite antenna, and, uh, and we enabled everybody in a township of 500 families to be able to operate and be able to have both access to telecommunications, but also to the banking system. The people in Mexico that are using the MiPhone product are impacted in a very, very real way. I mean, you have this merchant that's selling chicken, and uh, now because he's able to take phone orders and have them be paid to his cell phone, he doesn't have to go and go to the collect the cash and then take the cash to the bank and you know all these inefficiencies that when you think about I mean we may take them for granted but when for somebody to go half a day across town another half a day come back it's yes. a big deal mm-hmm. it's a big deal in the, in terms of time and money and we have successfully bridged that divide through the mobile phone and through a debit card Another way that Rev is impacting around the world, you're talking about cab drivers in Australia that are getting paid via their driver's card uh, through the, our technology. Uh, their their headquarters disperses the money uh, directly to them. And, uh, you know, I can go on and on about all the different examples. Your mom is living in Texas currently. What does she make of all this? It's really funny you ask that question because throughout the early years at NetSpend. I don't think she really understood what really what we were doing. 
when it relates to things about work, it's more about I need to, you know, help her reset her pen or I, I, I get a tickle out of that every single time. Where was your father in this? My father, who's a professor, he still would like for me to go out and finish graduates, uh, some sort of graduate school. He's never been a big uh, pro-capitalist uh, or entrepreneur um, supporter, so uh, there's a bit of unfinished business there. You said your father's a, a professor of economics in Mexico? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Is he socialist? How did you guess? <laughs> How, why would have led you to believe that? All you have to do is meet my mother and my father to understand why Roy is half, half mission-driven and half ca- capitalistic-driven. I grew up going to summer camps with the uh, Boy Scouts and uh, every other year going to uh, summer camps with the Cuban pioneers. And I grew up with a poster of a uh, $6 million man next to the uh, poster of Ernesto Che Guevara. Che Guevara. They, they go hand in hand. I don't think you divorce one from the other. You guys are two immigrants from Mexico, and NetSpend had a $1.5 billion IPO in 2010, and more recently was sold for almost $1.5 billion. Were you like, is this really happening to me? Yeah, I, uh, all the time. You know, what, what I really pinch myself is, is not necessarily the IPO or NetSpend or the prepaid. I pinch myself that I was able to find a path of entrepreneurship. When I discovered that entrepreneurs, it wasn't necessarily a dirty word, but it was a very, again, a very empowering feeling, it blew my mind. I want to elaborate on that concept of dirty word. From an entrepreneur's perspective in Mexico, an entrepreneur is somebody who doesn't know what they want to do. Being an entrepreneur is the guy that is just sort of wheeling and dealing and and so, it was fantastic to really have come to a country at a time where this is really exploding. And if you can believe that, a couple of Mexican immigrants that came in on a tourist visa, that the visa had an expiration date, and that by all means should not be here, that we could create a company that could lead an industry, that could create so many jobs, that is extremely empowering. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. My guests have been the financial service entrepreneurs, Roy and Bertrand and Sosa. If you'd like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org or follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. From Scratch.